This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm Marjorie Puddit. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And for Elizabeth, we ought to add one word. Productive. <laughs> it's got to be a productive <laughs> nest. Stuff's got to happen. I just said to my husband, I was like, do you want to hear what I'm accomplishing in a day? And, and the answer to yes? that is always yes. Yeah, I think he's Has just he ever said of, no? No, that's why I love him. That's why okay. we stay married. And it's great. I said, I got the children up and out the door. Jay drives them to school. He's the bus driver. You know, I've talked about this, but I get them all ready, pack lunches, made breakfast, get them out the door, put socks on all these tiny people and, you know, oh, proceed. Then I baked, a, I baked a loaf of sourdough. Then I made a bunt cake. Then I did a live shot for Minnesota Live with said bunt cake and all sorts of other products. It's a long story. You can watch it to find out why I did it. But by the way, a bunt cake in the morning smells delicious. It's a great way to start the day. Then I did that live shot. <laughs> shot something else with um, my photographer, Bill, had cake with the crew, then just did a 45-minute Facebook Live book club meeting for our Twin Cities Live book club, then sent you guys an outline for this podcast, then am now on this podcast, then I'm going to go to a meeting, then I'm going to go do the hour and a half show, and then I'm going to go pick up my children. And so I said to Jay, this is what I said. Do you think anybody else is accomplishing as oh. much as I am accomplishing? <laughs> and he said, this is why he's a great husband. He said, no lover, no one is. And then he came over and gave me a hug and he was like, you're the best. And then I made yeah. a coffee. I grabbed my computer and I came upstairs and here I am. And I so feel the, great. Here would lie the difference between your husband and my husband. If I were doing that little sketch, as my husband would call it, he would say, what are my lines? Just tell me what my lines are and I'll say them. He wouldn't he wouldn't let me get away with the inauthenticity of that moment. Not saying that you guys are inauthentic. I'm not saying that. But there is a very narrow margin of how Jay can answer those questions. Oh, yeah. It was a clear way that he needed to react to that. It's a pump up moment. It was it like is. I it needed is. somebody to be, because this he knows good. me well enough to know that even though I say that I love this level of drive, mm -hmm. I don't really, it's too much in one day. Yeah. And, but, and so what he was doing was giving me a little pump up, like you've that's got right. this, you've got it. And that's what we did. And so. This is um, a good man. You know, the one thing you didn't list in that long list of things, and I too am very proud of you. 
I want you to know that. Thank you. Thank you. You can do it. You Nobody else it. works as hard as oh, you. There you go. Nobody else works as hard That's as you. That's what I want to hear. Yeah. I certainly didn't this morning. You're underpaid. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I want to hear that too. <laughs> but what you missed in that list is you clearly put some makeup on that beautiful skin of yours because it's very glowy and dewy, but you've got a nice, not a not a, a red, red lip going on, but you've got sort of an orangey kind of red lip going on. It's very, very nice. And Jay should have Thank said you. it's very sexy. Good yeah. lip this morning. Thank you. And that reminds me to remind everybody about our new sponsor, which I am having so much fun with. It is Pour Moi Climate Smart Skincare. It's affordable luxury skincare from France, proven for anti-aging results. Use our code BEST for an extra 20% off with a 100% money-back guarantee. Go to PoorMaSkinCare.com. That's PoorMaSkinCare.com. P-O-U-R-M-O-I. French for what? What does that mean? For you. For, for you. you. Pour moi. And we're so happy. For me, I think actually it's for me. Boy, guys, can you tell I took one semester of French and I got a BC, which is such a weird grade, but that's what they did at Wisconsin. But it's pour moi for me. Yeah. Yeah. Je ne sais quoi. Nicely. Chapelle Elizabeth with the red lipstick. Okay. I love it. Get your pour moi. Take advantage of that deal. You'll be equally as obsessed as I am. We'll talk more about it later in the show. But I'm so thrilled about our guest today. Marjorie, I just met her last week and I texted you and I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to have this woman on the podcast and I'm so excited about it. Um, Her name is Teresa Bentz and she runs Get Bentz Farm in Northfield, Minnesota, which is such a magical little town. It's so wonderful. And she raises sheep. And I met Teresa at an event for an organization called Greener Pastures that I've been doing some work with for the past year. And Greener Pastures is really focused on storytelling, um, marketing, and advocating for small regenerative farms that are in the Midwest. And they're really doing an incredible job because uh, farmers don't have time for marketing and they don't have budgets for marketing. And Greener Pastures puts together these beautiful videos. They put together these gift guides and they really highlight the work of some of these incredible regenerative farms. So Teresa Bentz was at this event that I was emceeing on Friday night. It was a fundraiser for Greener Pastures. And when she was up in front of everyone talking about her farm and talking about the action that we can all take when it comes to not only what we eat, but what we wear, I was like so intrigued and I wanted to, to, to know more. So, Teresa, we welcome you to Best to the Nest. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> I have to tell you, Elizabeth, you she must have walked away from meeting you. And then texted me. She was so excited. She's like, Marjorie, you're going to love this woman. She, she loves everything you love. You're going to love her so much. We can't wait to talk to her. Can I book her for the podcast? I'm like, oh my God, yes. So it is very nice to meet you. And uh, I saw the little the little, um, the little little story that they did about the farm. And you're right. It was lovely. It was lovely. And I think that's just such a great thing that there's an organization that's getting the word out about farmers who are responsible and who care about sustainability and who are taking care of the land. That matters to all of us. Yeah. Yeah. They're a great organization and they've helped so much just as we got started as a farm and kind of catapulting us into um, being like a a known name um, for textiles in Minnesota. So that's That's pretty cool. Okay. So Teresa at her farm at Get Ben's farm, they're raising grass-fed lamb, 
They are um, shearing these little sweet sheep and they are making high quality sheep's wool. And then they're also growing native plants for dyeing the wool. It's a snout to tail operation is what they call it. They're utilizing all parts of the animal, which is just so incredible. And they run an on-farm wool mill, which is amazing as well. But what's interesting to me, Teresa, that I want to go back a little bit is that you weren't always farmers. And this is intriguing to me too, because, you know, I grew up in the suburbs. Farming was far from me, even though I grew up on farmland that had recently been... (laughs) transitioned into housing, but there was something within me that always said, I want where I live to be creating something and growing something. So I do that on such a smaller scale in terms of my little urban lawn. But what happened with you where um, the life you were living wasn't what you wanted to continue with? You wanted to just make a shift, do something different. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in the cities and in a pretty um, like developed area of the cities on the east side of St. Paul. Um, And when I was a young kid, we watched a lot of the Hmong um, refugees come in. And when they came in, they brought their farming practices and they took vacant lots in our area and turned them into gardens and backyards became gardens. And that was really my first exposure to um, people growing their own food and having um, control over that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really, really cool. And then, you know, as I got older and I got into school and I got into my career, which is completely not in agriculture, all of my education has been in um, the healthcare industry. Um, And I had my first child. That was kind of when I said, whoa, I don't have a lot of control over where my food is coming from. Um, I'm kind of like, floating out in space with that. I'm depending on the co-op. I'm in, I'm depending on labels to tell me that things are really what they are, that they're coming from a good place. Um, and so then me and my partner, we just kind of decided, hey, why don't we try growing a little bit of food up at his family's farms um, up in northern Minnesota? And so we kind of helped out with raising some chickens and canning. I learned how to can, never did that before. Um, So I would go to the farmer's market and buy a bunch of stuff direct from the farmers. And then I would can it for the winter. And I started to get into that almost like the homesteading lifestyle. Um, And then we decided, why don't we just do it? Why don't we go look for land and see if we can find a farm? And we weren't looking in the Northfield area at all. We were looking in a whole different area. And we were looking at awful houses. If anybody here has ever looked for land, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, 1970s were not a good time for homes. No, 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 no. Um, And people do a lot of weird things with houses in rural areas where you don't have a lot of rules. (laughs) So we, we looked and we looked and we've, just happened upon this 40 acre farm outside of Northfield that, you know, was on the market for quite some time because a lot of the land is what we, what is considered subprime agriculture. So it's hilly and it's wooded. And we said, well, yeah, I was like, well, let's just do it. You know, let's just do it. And so we did. (laughs) That's, that's the part where I get stuck. I get stuck at the, let's just do it. I mean, it's, that sounds so, it sounds like a dream. And I think it's a dream that so many people have. It may not be buying a farm, but it may be, you know, whatever else somebody else's dream is, 
is the let's just do it part. It, it had to be scarier than that, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, everything, yeah, everything I've done since the farm has been terrifying. But I okay. have a, I kind of live by the, the, I, I live that if, if it is terrifying, if it makes you want to barf and it makes you really happy at the same time, then you're on the right track. <laughs> I think that's a t-shirt. I think it's a t-shirt. If it makes you want to barf, what was it exactly? You have to repeat it. If it makes me. you want to barf and it makes you really happy at the same time. Oh, it's a t-shirt. Then you want to do it. Sticker. That's fantastic. Yeah, Teresa, that is so good. But you know, I think what it also shows, I mean, you've obviously gone to the point of living this full agricultural life and creating this business, but it is just it's that little bit of seeing, oh my gosh, I can grow this. Like some, I can do this and then I can preserve this. And it's amazing how those little tiny steps feel so good to people. It's like everybody I talk to who is like me or like you and those types of practices are an important part of their life. You feel so like your body just wants to do those things. I mean, I joked about the sourdough this morning and my, it's like, I feel like I can accomplish anything if I can just do a few things myself. I don't know. There's just something that like, it connects me to my heritage or just, I always say this, every cell in your body wants your hands to be digging in the dirt. That is how we are made. I think that's the key is what you've sort of said, our hands. I mean, I think there's, there's a creative need that I think for so many people, work doesn't necessarily fulfill that. And so they're struggling to find something else. But I was also interested in, Teresa, in what you said about becoming a mother. And I think this is part of the power that we have as women, because I too, when I had children, that's when I started all the research because my son had asthma from the time he was like six months old. And so he literally was having so much trouble breathing. So it forced me to do research about air. And what is in the air that's affecting my child? And that's when I learned about what's in carpets, what's in a couch, what's in, we had built a new house that was airtight. So I learned all of these things. And it was through becoming a mother that I, I started to care about what was around me and what my son was breathing. And that led to caring about what he was consuming. And so I think that when you say that, we shouldn't pass over that moment because I think that's part of, as women, that's part of the power we bring to environmentalism, sustainability, caring about the earth, because it connects us to our children. So I think that's a really powerful thing that you said. I think it's really important, actually. <clears throat> and it for me, it was kind of the start of a much bigger look at what what I expose myself to and what I expose my family to. Because um, even as we moved out into the country, you know, we're we're surrounded by conventional agriculture. And so we're exposed to some of the things that come with that, um, which has its positives and its negatives. Um, we get our well tested and that's been fantastic all these Good. years. Um, but, you know, so much of our life here in Minnesota is really in our homes. And so I took a big look at what's in my home, what's in my nest, and what what am I exposing my family to, what kind of chemicals. And I think the first, and this is like, we've had, now we have sheep. So we're, we have sheep at this point in my life when I'm looking at everything. Um, but then I I took a look at a pillow. And I looked at that tag and I was like, 
okay, we spend so many hours of our lives sleeping on chemicals. And so then that was a big switch from um, using, you know, man-made materials um, that are doused in anti-inflammatory chemicals and removing all of that from our house and then turning it into um, really all natural. Okay. And this is so helpful. Well, I just can't wait to dig into like exactly what your recommendations are, because this was the most important thing when you were talking on um, Friday night at the Greener Pastures event. Um, what I loved was just how you just don't hold back in saying this is what what we should be using and this is what isn't working. And Teresa said, she goes, everything that I am wearing is made of wool down to my underwear. My okay. underwear are made of wool. And I was like, this woman is standing in front of all these people that she doesn't know and immediately talking about her underwear. And I was like, we are going to be fast friends because it's so great. And I've been thinking so much about textiles. And Marjorie and I talk about this a lot because Marjorie's super into vintage things, which it was another thing that Teresa touched on. But when, but what's what's the the shift here with people, Teresa, that's so hard because a lot of us are really aware of what we eat. I would say more people, you know, are getting more aware of what we eat. I think particularly with clean beauty products and cleaning products. I mean, that's becoming almost mainstream to be able to say like, I don't, I I mean, I just don't know people who are like, I'm going to use pledge all over. I mean, it's just like you're, that's probably the first thing that you start to clean up, but textiles are tough. It's like, that's not, I, it's a marketing madhouse out there. Is that right? I mean, what's going on? Well, Instagram. Yeah. Help. Oh yeah. No, Instagram is horrible <laughs> Yeah, <Doesn't laughs> with help. this stuff. No. Um, so I think, I think it's multifaceted. So one thing that we have in this culture is we have a, we have a desire for new clothing every single season of every single year. And we want it on the cheap. We want inexpensive on sale clothing so that we can keep up with the latest fashion trends, which are always recycled. Um, and so I think that's the first big piece. And we've I, it's and it's interesting how it goes in different generations. So there are some generations that are really hip on vintage recycle. Um, linen, wool, natural fibers, um, naturally dyed fibers. And, you know, like they're really into that. And then there are other generations where like, I'm going to Kohl's and I'm going to get it on sale and I might not ever wear it. Um, And I, I don't know if it's like a product of overarching dissatisfaction with life because we aren't creating as much as we should be creating. And so we fill that void or that gap with um, excessive buying of fashion and fast fashion. Um, Or if it's just that we strive to feel good in nice textiles and we're buying the wrong ones. We're just buying bad textiles and then we don't feel good. Well, I think that's you. I think you've hit on so many important points to me. It's very hard for me to buy new clothes and it's very hard for me to buy them because especially when they're cheap, because if we all visualized where those clothes were being made and by whom we probably, and what that living wage was that those people were being paid, 
we would not feel good about the clothes that we were wearing. My son works in circular economy, and I keep telling him one of the things that's really important to me, and this will never happen, but I want legislation that on every piece of clothing that people buy, it has to list the resources that were used to make it and the people who made it. And there are companies now that are very transparent, and they'll show you the factories where the clothing is made. They tell you the living wage. I, I, I love that. But that doesn't solve the $3 t-shirt on sale at your local discount store, which is coming a long way to be $3. And so it's just, it's very hard for me to, to do that, even though, as Elizabeth knows, I love clothes. So I will buy on the secondhand market. I do that with a little less guilt. I still have some guilt because I have more clothes than I need, and I know that. So I'm still working on that. But it's it's baby steps for me. How much we have to change people's mindset is so important because it is so much a part of our waste problem, our production problem, and our resource problem. So let's get mm -hmm. back to your farm, which doesn't cause any of those problems. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> What's happening the at the farm? Yeah. yeah. What Tell are you what are you producing? What, what kind of life are these sheep living? I want to know. Are they frolicking about? Are they trying to... Sheep are known kind of masochists. They're sort of... They're difficult to take care of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sheep. The the old shepherd saying is that sheep come out trying to die. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> Which is so true. Like if, if they can find a way to kill themselves, they're going to do it. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. It's a true thing about sheep. Sheep farmers are a special breed of people. Because they're trying to take care of something. They're trying to keep alive something that's just constantly trying to, like, impale itself. They're fascinating creatures. Are they dumb? No. Oh, they're incredibly intelligent. That's, like, a lot of misconception is that sheep are just kind of these lumbering dummies. But they're bright-eyed and very smart, um, which is part of the problem. So they're and, existentialists. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's the and they're prey, they're prey animals. So, you know, they're they're going to freak out um, all the time, oh. even when you try to help them. Um, <laughs> but that's what they do. And so you just have to get used to it. You know, it's just part of life. So right now the sheep are in their breeding season. So love is in the air out here at the farm. Sexy time. Have, I know, right? Ooh. And we have one ram and his name is Fergus. He's a very kind gentleman. <laughs> And he's servicing all of the ladies um, for the hopes that we have. I know. I love all the terms. This is great. That's Fergus is living his best life. Yeah. Okay. So Fergus <laughs> is in service right now to all the ladies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and hopefully we'll have lambs coming in March of this next year. Um, that's usually our goal. And so we raise two different, primarily two to three different breeds of sheep out here. We have um, Icelandics, which are the only sheep breed that has not been improved upon by man. It's the same sheep breed that was brought to Iceland by Eric the Red. Um, so it's very, very old and thus more wild. So when people come over to the farm, they look at my sheep and they say, oh, you have nice looking goats. <laughs> like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's wool on those buddies. Um, and then we have um, a couple Jacob sheep, which are more of a desert sheep um, from kind of, uh, you know, the UK-ish area. Um, the UK has really done a lot to bring that breed back. Um, and then we have 
Cheviots, which are a very British breed. Um, and Cheviots are like what you expect to see of a sheep. They're bright eyed, their ears stand straight up. They look like little bunny rabbits when they're born. Um, and they're white and their wool is very fluffy. Oh, beautiful. Wow. So, so how long have you, how long have you had the farm? We've been doing this for 11 years now. Okay. And we got sheep. We got our first sheep because, you know, like I'm a, I'm a go for it kind of lady. So yes. we bought the farm and then I was like, well, I'm just going to go buy three sheep. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> and Where'd I you put them? How'd you transport them? <laughs> um, I found a two horse trailer on Craigslist for 200 bucks. And so I bought that right away. I was like, I have 200 bucks. I could go buy those. And then I, I went to this lady's farm in Welch and she said, here are some sheep. Um, this one's a good mother, but I don't like her. And she has badger face. And so I thought, Oh, "Oh, that's her name. Her name is badger face. And she's still out on the farm. She's very old now. Um, but that's the name of our wool mill and our wool line is badger face because of her. <laughs> because of her. It's, what does it mean to have badger face? Is that like, like it's just markings. Oh, it's the type of markings. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't sound yes. very nice. I don't know. Listen, I'm a badger. I went to the great university of Wisconsin, Madison. So I hear badger face and I think like, sign me up. I'm all by everything. This sounds great. I'm in. Um, okay. So then you are, so you're not, you're using every bit of these sheep when it is time for the sheep for their, their lives to end. Um, tell me about that process about harvesting the sheep and, and what you're doing to make that part so important. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first thing we do to ensure that um, any of the the meat that's harvested on the farm is um, is living its best life, it has its best life possible, is that we let the moms and the babies do what they need to do. So yeah. when the babies are born, we're very low stress on moms. We only help if they absolutely need it. Uh, and we provide them everything that they need. And then we let the moms naturally wean the lambs. And a lot of people people won't do that. They'll, you know, wean the lambs, um, and to, to get them on a different type of food so that they can grow a little faster, um, for their, their trip to freezer camp. Um, but we don't do that. We let them just naturally wean, which happens in July ish, um, when the babies are quite big. And Mm then, um, then they just, the, the lambs just enjoy running around the property, having a good time in the woods, being sheep, um, and then finally, when we take them to be dispatched, um, we use a butcher that is, he does it super fast. It's low stress. It's, you know, they're off the trailer and um, done right away so that we're not stressing out the animals. And then we, we cut them up and sell them to people. Yeah. <laughs> You're not, so is a sheep farmer technically a rancher? Are yeah, you a sheep yeah, farmer? Yeah, technically we're ranch. Well, we're technically shepherds, but we're ranchers too. Okay. Yeah. I, I love all of those names, but for someone who didn't grow up in that world, was that a hard line for you to get used to of watching the natural process of, and it's so lovely that the mothers get to, to feed their, their babies and then the little lambs get to run around. I mean, all of that is wonderful because people kind of sometimes when I would tell them about whole foods or they would talk about like the happiness factor of the animals, 
that actually mattered to me. Like I felt better about that. And so I believe in that, but I know for me, crossing over that line to becoming a shepherd and then having to, to, as Elizabeth said, I don't know the proper language to harvest the sheep. Was that a difficult road for you? Yeah. Every year is difficult. It never gets easier. Um, and I think that is a very important thing. I think, you know, we, we raise, we raise the sheep, but we also raise a couple pigs every once in a while, just for us. And we raise meat birds, um, chickens, and some turkeys. And so we take them all to freezer camp. And every time that we take them to freezer camp, it's a sad day, but it's also a happy day because not only do we get to eat that really great meat, and we know exactly the kind of life it lived and it meets our standards, um, but we get to provide that to other people. And then we go back home and the flock of sheep that are our main breeders they're like our coworkers, you know, we have intimate relationships with these sheep and they know this cycle. It's this bigger cycle that I think a lot of us humans have just detached ourselves from, you know, the cycle of the seasons, the cycle of the harvest, um, you know, cycle of life and death. And we get to see it every single year. Um, and so it's, it's very bittersweet. It's, it's happy, sad at the same right. time. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that that detachment from that process is our greatest problem as humans, period. I really fundamentally believe that, that the way that we have detached ourselves from how our food is raised and we just don't want to see it and we don't want to know. Number one, I think that as we were talking about, like instinctually, as we are nature, we are not separate from nature. As uh, as humans, we are nature. Separation from nature goes against everything that our bodies crave and want, every cell in our body. And it also, I think, is really the beginning of this idea of trying to separate ourselves from uncomfortable things, which then goes further into numbing ourselves when we don't believe that we're capable of experiencing difficult things. And so now we have an entire, you know, so many people in humanity who believe that they're not capable of handling tough things. So they turn to shopping, drinking, eating too much, gambling, pornography, whatever it is to numb the pain of difficult things because we've told ourselves that we're not capable of handling it because we've detached ourselves from the most basic difficult things that we are meant to experience. So you sharing that, Teresa, I think is like life-changingly important. And if ev if everybody could hear what you just said about that process, I feel, I mean, I want to like install radios. This feels very Chinese propaganda, but I want to install radios in everyone else, everyone's houses. So they have to like hear this and listen to this and start to take that to heart because that's how important I think it is. I went too far with the red box in the Chinese propaganda thing, but that's where I'm at. Marjorie. That's who you are. That's, yeah, who, that's you who I are. am. That's who I am. One step too far and Always. then walk it back. One step too far and then walk it back. But I mean, I think what we're talking about though is soulfulness. Is there, there's a soulful way to live where you're connected to things that really, really matter. And I think we are very good. I can only speak for American culture. I think we're very good for, to we're very good at disconnecting ourselves from those things. As you already put it more eloquently than I can, Elizabeth. But so how do we 
in terms of the food we eat or the clothes we wear, um, in terms of textiles, let's just talk about that specifically. Because for me, I'm a very tactile person. Clothes matter to me. Fabric matters to me. Cotton matters to me. Wool matters to me. I have It has to feel good for me to put it on my body. If it doesn't, I will not. So tell us about why you think that's important and what you're doing at the farm that sort of contributes to, to that idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think I'm, I'm the same. I love textiles. I love the way fabrics feel. I like to have beautiful pieces that I can wear, even if I'm out on a farm. So they might get a little dirty. Um, <laughs> I like to hunt for classic things that will never go out of style. Um, and so I think that kind of that right there, you know, as much as it's important to think about what we put in our body and we think about the environmental impact of, of food and we look at, you know, some farming practices that we may not agree with because of the environmental impact, we always forget the massive environmental impact of the textile industry. So that's huge. Going back to that super cheap T-shirt, that cheap T-shirt. Yes, it's cheap on the pocketbook but the environmental cost is massive. I mean, this is multi-generation um, impact, you know, where we have plastic in our DNA. That tells you there's a problem. So I think one of the biggest problems is how much plastic people put on their skin. And that's, and a lot of people don't understand what the plastic, what plastic is because the textile industry has done a great job of labeling things differently. Um, so like polyester, that's plastic, obviously. Um, and I, a lot of our yoga pants and our active gear is made out of plastic and plastic harbors bacteria. <laughs> so, so is this like, like nylon, elastane, spandex, polyester? What I'm, I'm just thinking of labels. Yeah, what else, what else am I missing? Rayon. Thanks, Marjorie. Those yeah, are all, all plastic. Those, all plastics. And they, and the hard thing with them is that, you know, like, a lot of companies that are really great will recycle plastic and turn them into new pieces of clothing. And we've got to find something to do with all of this plastic, right? right. But is our is a thing that's being on our on our largest organ, is that where we want to put it? Or do we really want to put plastic on the largest organ? <laughs> and and I think too, just in terms of comfort. I think again, this idea of detachment and how we detach ourselves from how we feel. You said it earlier that people buy so many clothes, but they don't feel good in them, so they don't necessarily wear them. And I think that this is sort of if if there are many things that I think we'd like everybody to take from away from this podcast. But one thing is is think about how your clothes feel, and think about you know I won't generally I try not to wear sweaters that have any sort of plastic in them because they don't breathe. They don't breathe mm -hmm. if you put it on and you sweat and you're hot. It it's you've got to look to the fabric and what it's doing to your body. It the, the your, your it just throws my temperature off and it doesn't feel good. And for a long time, I just thought it was me. You know, I just thought, oh, this you know, this doesn't feel good, and because I wasn't really thinking about it. And then when I started researching it, that's why I I imagine not to get too personal, but I imagine this is why. And I'm curious about this. You can wear wool underwear. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah, have, let's you're not wrapping yourself. Yeah, you have look to tell it. me about this. Is this, this is good. Tell me about wearing wool underwear if you don't mind. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I started wearing wool underwear, I think three years ago now. Yeah. And I haven't bought any more in over a year. So I haven't bought any new panties in over a year, which is really fun. I love that um, we're doing undies talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I bought them because um, having sheep and getting into textiles and opening a wool mill and learning to knit and learning to weave and do all of those things. I learned that wool is a fantastic um, material. It wicks away moisture. So it keeps keeps you dry. It um, doesn't harbor any bacteria. It's antimicrobial by nature. Um, and, and it's just like, it's just the best. It's long lasting. Um, you don't have to do a lot to launder it. Obviously with your panties, you want to wash those, um, <laughs> but like socks and sweaters and leggings and t-shirts and stuff like that. You don't have to launder these very often because they're wool. You just leave them outside um, to air them out or you just let them rest. Um, so I started getting really into the panties because like this is right next to my skin. This is, you know, these are, these are areas as we work out on the farm and I chase some sheep through the woods. I'm going to sweat a lot and I yeah. don't want to be like gross sweaty right. um, down there. Uh, so it's who <laughs> my- Listen, it's an important it's an important piece of real estate. And it like absorbs everything. I mean, the the underwear is the first thing that as I've started to be really a little bit more intentional about what I've been buying, that's the first thing that I switched. But I switched to organic cotton and I don't necessarily know if that was the best choice. I think, I mean, I think any of those choices, as long as it's not plastic is good. Um, Cotton obviously has its benefits. It's really great. It breathes. Um, Mm -hmm. I think if you got yourself a couple pairs of wool panties, you'd never go back. Oh, you bet your bippy. I'm getting some. Where where would we find those? I'm afraid to Google it. I'm afraid to Google it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't Google it. You'll get some images. Um, (laughs) So when I I started, I bought panties from um, a couple different places because I wanted to make sure I was getting the right kind of panties. Um, And the ones that I like the most are the wool and panties um just because they feel the best and they fit me the best and everybody's body is different um wool x is another company they they um source all of their um merino it's merino so it's super super soft so you're not gonna have a scratchy butt um <laughs> but they source it all from <laughs> australia and new zealand which are those are the two big kings in the wool world um and so they make they make lovely panties. I did get some from um, an American company. So there is a, an American company that makes um, wool undergarments. And that is, if I can remember right, it is not that one. It's this Duckworth. So I bought some panties from Duckworth, um, which is out in Montana. And they source all of their wool from the States. Um, so it's very American. They had a lot more nylon added to it right. for strength and stuff like that. And I found that it pilled and yep. I don't want like fuzzy bits in my under bits. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is so important, I think. And it goes back to a theme that we hit over and over and over again on this podcast, because sometimes the things that we talk about seem cost prohibitive and and I think what we've tried to do is just let people know fewer, better things. 
just mm-hmm. fewer, better things. And the less you have in your home, the less there is to take care of. And I just really, it, the idea of having everything that touches your body feel good and work the way that it's supposed to, when you really try to do that from you know the makeup or from the skincare that we talk about to um, your clothing, to your shoes, when you really understand its provenance, where it comes from and what it's supposed to do for you, it is amazing how I really do believe it changes your mood. It changes your mood. So, but speaking of skincare, Elizabeth. I know. Speaking of skincare, we want, Teresa has a few more recommendations for other places to pick up some of these amazing products. So I want to talk about that. But first, uh, a big thank you to our sponsor, Pormois Climate Smart Skincare. This is the skincare company that I've been using for years now. Marjorie is now on board and using this luxury European made skincare. Talk about resources. There is very little water in the Pormois Climate Smart Skincare products because they're made in Europe and it's the best, most beautiful, clean, pure water from France that is so fabulous in these products. How are you feeling a few weeks in? Oh, it's it feels so good because the products go on so lightly. Mm-hmm. It's hard to explain until you try it. So when you, it, I put on three different things. I put on three, the, the same things every morning and every night. And it just feels so light on my face, but I can actually feel the difference, particularly when I wake up in the morning. I know. My skin know. feels so good when I wake up in the morning. It's because your skin is aligned with the seasons and it's aligned with the weather. You dress yourself you dress your skin like you dress yourself for the weather. It's fantastic. So friendly reminder, we've got that fantastic promo code. You can use the code BEST and you will get yourself 20% off. There's a 100% money back guarantee. It's pormoiskincare.com. That's P-O-U-R-M-O-I skincare.com. The code is BEST for an extra 20% off. Uh, we encourage you to try it and let us know what you think. Okay, so Teresa, there are you you left us this amazing list which I'm so happy about. I said to Teresa, do you have a couple spots because shopping for these things is so tricky and I will tell you because the marketing gimmicks gimmicks are really out there. I'm not going to name this activewear company, but it's an activewear company that I have really liked in the past and then I saw them advertising their products with images of these beautiful sheep and they're called um valet is it valet sheep valet's sheep do you know yeah, what i'm talking the, about yeah black nose valet's oh i can't even stand it i'm freaking obsessed with these sheep if you will please figure out a way to get a couple of those i will come live with you and i will take care of them because i love them so much i'm obsessed with these sheep and i watch them on instagram so anytime these sheep show up i am intrigued but what I saw was this company using these beautiful sheep as their advertisement for their fleece products, which are not made out of sheep's wool. Can I be very clear? It is straight up poly products that they are promoting because they're saying it's fleece. And we have you know, Ooh. there are when you say you're going to put on a fleece for the winter, what that means today is a plastic product, not something that's made out of wool. Is this making you nuts, Teresa? (laughs) Yeah, actually, this is one of the things that makes me the most angry because it is, it's plastic. It's just microfibers and they shed every time you wash them and they're in our water. And 
All you have to do is get wool. You just need one nice wool sweater. And that replaces all of those uh, polar fleece sweaters that you're wearing that smell because they're harboring bacteria and they're making you sweat. And then you have to use like scent boosters and all sorts of oh, crazy don't things get me started. in your laundry. Don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a nasty, nasty cycle. Um, and I think, I think a lot of companies have done a really great job of making this um, new item that they use the same words as wool and fleece. Um, and they're not, it's just right. plastic. Yeah. Right. So, so as so a you consumer, have to do your research. Yeah. You have to do your research. You have to kind of look around at what it is and you have to break down some of your misconceptions. Kind of like when kale became a food that we all ate. Um, and I remember when all of a sudden everybody was eating kale. Um, we had to break down some misconceptions on like how soft food should be and how tasty right. <laughs> food should be. Right. So the same with like clothing. So a lot of people look at me when I say that I'm wearing wool underwear and they're like, oh my gosh, you must be so hot and that must be itchy. And so those are two big misconceptions about wool. It isn't hot. It actually regulates your body temperature. So if you put on wool underwear, you're going to be a-okay. Mm -hmm. If you sleep under wool blankets, you're going to sleep really, really well. It wicks away that moisture. So I'm not going to be hot and sweaty at all. I'm just going to be comfortable. And different wool and different sheep breeds have different um, bite to their fiber, different textures. So like merino, as we all know, that's like the big keyword. That is a super fine wool. And so it's fantastic for underwear. Really great for shirts. Not the best for socks because you're going to wear right through those merino socks. Oh, yeah. And everybody loves these black nose fillets sheep right now. And they're so stinking cute. Their wool <laughs> is actually a carpet wool. It is so coarse. And, and like, it's like hair. It's like horse hair coarse. Um, that it really isn't good for textiles at all, but everybody. Oh my gosh, it. but I could get carpet with those, that wool. Yeah. Oh, this is yeah, amazing. Actually. And, and heads up <laughs> on wool carpet, because I'm such a believer. So when we talk about the things that should be in your house and shouldn't be in your house, part of the problem with carpeting is the off-gassing. There's yeah. a lot of plastics. And the synthetics. Yeah. There's a lot of synthetics and plastics in carpet, but carpet's expensive. Even the synthetic carpet is expensive. And so our bedroom is on our, we have an English basement sort of bedroom and our, our, our bedroom is on the first floor. So it's a tile. Our bedroom has a tile floor. So we need carpet to cover that because it's very cold. And to get a piece of carpet as big as I needed for that room was going to be about $5,000. I mean, it's just, it's wool carpet is so expensive, but you can find wool carpet that comes in pieces. You know, that like you can buy like an eight by 10. So I bought two that I, I put together and it still cost about $700, but it's a hundred percent wool carpet. Ooh. And I think, I think you have to look hard and you have to be um, sort of scrappy uh, to find, to sometimes to be able to afford the good things that you want to put in your house. But there's also, I've always bought secondhand beautiful area rugs. And there are so many 100% wool area rugs that you can find and buy or cotton. But I can't stress enough when you talk about little fibers coming up, carpets are a real culprit for that, for those little fibers that are coming off your carpet. 
And that's a problem if you have children that are crawling around on your carpet. I mean, these are the things you have to think about. I love that you started with bedding. You're sleeping on that every night. So your mattress is so important. My son actually turned me on to the avocado mattress. I don't know if you know about those, but it's the Mm -hmm. best sleep I've ever had. I mean, they're wonderful mattresses and they're made with wool and organic cotton. And it naturally regulates your temperature. You know, so there's just, there's so many good things that you can find out there, but it's so important that you look and expense. We know these things are expensive, but I love what you said, Teresa, is get one great wool sweater and you're sitting in front of us. I can see you in the most beautiful, most beautiful green sweater with some sort of, is it like Icelandic sort of pattern? Like a Fair Isle thing going it's on. A fair I love Isle. It. Yes. Thank you. It's yeah. a Fair Isle, but... <laughs> But but how do you afford to do those things too? I mean, how have you been able to sort of swap out those things in your life? Because buying better often means you are spending a bit more money. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Saks.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah. Yeah. So when it came to the household things, it was little by little. So we first started switching out all the bedding to the wool bedding. And because we're shepherds, we had wool um, on hand and so we made our own bedding using a mill down in St. Peter. And so we we sell wool bedding on our website, but there's always really great places to get 100% wool bedding. Um, they're always covered in cotton. And St. Peter has the last mill in the country that makes wool-filled bedding materials. So if you buy it from some place in California, you're really just buying it from St. Peter Woolen Mill. So you might wow. as well just go to St. Peter. <laughs> no way! Yeah. Yeah, isn't that cool? And it's been in the family for generations. Um, it's a really cool meal. It's a fun drive down to St. Peter. And, you know, and the cool thing about it is, yes, I'm going to pay a lot of money for a pillow, right? I'm going to pay, I, I'm going to expect to pay a hundred bucks for a pillow. It's not mm-hmm. a my pillow. It's, it's an actual pillow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that good pillow karma. is going to last With good me. karma. Yeah, right. <laughs> good karma pillow. Yes. Um, that pillow is going to last you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And then when you leave this place and go to the next place that we all go to, um, you can either put it in the ground and it becomes nitrogen for the soil, or you can pass it down to your kids or your grandkids. They can take it back to St. Peter Woolen Mill and they'll clean it and cart it and turn it back into new. And they do that with all of the bedding. So you, yes, you might spend a lot of money on a comforter, but this is the last comforter you need. And it's yeah. probably the last comforter a generation after you is going to need oh because it doesn't go bad. Yeah, Listen, it's not like polyester. <laughs> I smell a TCL story. I'm going down to to uh, St. Oh, Peter. Okay. That's fantastic. Um, I 
I remember the first like real environmental light bulb that went off in my brain when I learned that mattress manufacturers recommended that you replaced your mattress every eight years. And I thought to myself, self, how would it be possible for every human on the planet to replace their mattress every eight years? Where are said mattresses going? going. Where are these mattresses going? I mean, that's just insanity. Like, it's insanity. But in all those things, in pillows and all that stuff, we just expect that you are supposed to get rid of it and buy new. Teresa, this is amazing info. I think um, before we go, because now we're going to run out of time and I'm going to be like, we should have booked two hours with her because I knew I was going to want to talk to her for a long time. Do you think that as we're having this conversation, do you think like undergarments, pajamas, bedding, that would be kind of the the first place to start, to start to make the changes because you're exposed to those things so much. It, would that be a good starting point? I think so. I think that would be a great starting point. If you're interested in wool clothing, but you've never, you just don't know if you, if you're going to like it. Um, wool and, which is one of the companies that I listed, it has this, um, this thing that it does, it's called the wardrobe challenge. So if you wear the same wool dress for a hundred days and you take pictures of it and put it on social media and all this other stuff, they'll give you a hundred dollars in a gift card. So then you can go buy another one. And I did this years ago. Yeah. I did this years ago. Um, It's so much fun. You pick out the dress. Yeah. And I did it years ago and I loved it. And that was kind of along with the panties. That was my first big introduction to wool because I washed that garment four times in a hundred days. I didn't need to wash it. Oh my gosh, Marjorie, you could do this challenge. I'd get called into my boss's office if I wore the same dress on TV for a hundred days, but you could totally do do this. (laughs) I love that. Great. Well, Teresa left us an amazing list. I mean, you just shouted them out and I know we have some nesters who take notes. Um, I should have warned you, you guys don't need to take obsessive notes because Teresa put a list together. I think we've got like over 10 places um, that she has added and she's added links to Teresa approved uh, textile manufacturers. And then also we'll post a link to Teresa's farm, of course, getbensfarm.com. And then we also have a link to the farm feature that Greener Pastures did on Get Ben's Farm. So you can watch that and see the beautiful land that she's talking about that her sheep are roaming on. Um, and that she is creating all these amazing, amazing product for us. Teresa, you are an absolute gem. I knew within you speaking to that group for two minutes, I was like, this woman is incredible. And um, I'm just so delighted that we got to spend some time with you. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to come back and talk more about panties. (laughs) (laughs) And we would love to have you back. Because as you can see, we can talk on and on and on about anything, (laughs) including panties. Um, Teresa, before we go, though, I just, because I I so want to support what you're doing, just tell everybody that's listening what they can purchase from your farm. What can they purchase from you directly? And we'll, like Elizabeth said, we'll pull the links up, but just give people an indication of what they can buy from you. Yeah. So what you can buy from me is wool filled filled bedding, um, comforters and pillows. And I use all of the waste from my wool mill to fill those bedding uh, materials. So it's not that they're, it's bad wool. It's just wool. I can't turn into yarn. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one of our big things. We have um, lamb meat um, for sale. So if you wanted 
you know, leg of lamb for the holidays or some chops or something. We've got some tasty, tasty, 100% grass fed, grass finished lamb. And because we're a snout to tail, we also do um, sheepskins, which are fantastic gifts for the holidays. Um, I love sheepskins a little I bit too. too much. And we have a I lot in our house. I do too. I do too. <laughs> um, my favorites. They're so beautiful. They and are. then and then we also have, um, because I have a wool mill, we have yarn and roving. Right. Um, so if you're a knitter, a weaver, or a spinner out there, um, I've got you covered. And I source everything locally. So I work with different shepherds in the area to give value to their wool and turn it into beautiful things. And so my inventory is always really low, um, but you can find me this winter at the Mill City um, Farmer's Market. And you can always hit me up to come out to the farm and pick up the yarn you need for your next big project. So can people get any of this online or is this from the markets where you are? Right now, I tend, I'm having a hard time keeping up with inventory. So right. I, I am not putting a lot online, okay. um, but I do my best as a farmer, a miller, and also like a marketing person. It's That's hard right. to get everything up there, That's um, fine. but I just finished making some really fun yarn. So I'm hoping to get that all up on the, the okay. website in the next week or so, but always come in. If you, if you are a local knitter and you're looking for something specific or a spinner or a weaver, just hit me up and come out and see the farm and see where your Aww. product is being made and pick out the, pick out the yarn. Cause it's such a tactile yes. experience to yeah. select yarn um, that I usually tell people, just come find me. Okay. I love that. I love that. Just come find me. A, I love that as a business slogan. Just come find me. I'm bringing my children to see you, Teresa. I just absolutely adore oh, yeah. you. You have been so inspiring. And um, we'll have you back. We'll yes. have you back. And I'm going to get this knitting thing freaking down, guys. I've taken knitting You're classes three it. times. Teresa gave me a whole counseling session and yeah. our other farmer friend about how I can get over my perfectionism tendencies and just finish a project and start to enjoy it. I told you my greatest piece of wisdom about knitting. I have made one sweater vest in my life. I knitted a whole sweater vest for my husband, which was ridiculous looking in the end. But I, <laughs> it was this book that I read once and it said, and it was uh, Korean proverbs. And it said, when there's a, like when you miss stitch or you make a bad stitch in knitting, mm -hmm. that's considered a good thing. Because it lets all the evil spirits out. Yeah, that's fine. I think that's a Korean marketing ploy, but you know, whatever. Oh, we'll, oh, I'll, I'll get there. Don't I'll always get there. be so cynical. My <laughs> gosh. <laughs> all right, friends. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Maybe the review will say, Elizabeth takes it one step too far and walks it back. <laughs> and walks it back. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest. Again, thank you, Teresa. We are the podcast that brings you home.